if I could just start off this morning by simply just saying to you that there's always a next step. There's always a next chapter to your story. There's always a next chapter. And it's exactly what we've been talking about over these last several weeks. We've been celebrating what God has done here over the last five years. But what we've also really been doing is looking at it practically. How does this relate to our lives? And what is it that God is speaking to you and I personally? And so over the last couple of weeks, we've learned a couple of things. And I just want to quickly recap and dive into today's uh, message But we've learned that God is the author and the finisher of our life story. God is the author and finisher of our life story. Whether you know it or not, God wants to take you and I to new places. God didn't tell somebody, God's taking you somewhere new. Look, he wants to show you a new life. He wants to reveal a better way beyond today. And that's your story. I like the way... Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 says, this is just a verse we've been looking at over the last several weeks. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. In other words, all it's simply talking about is people that have been there before us. And if you want to know who those people are that it's talking about, go to Hebrews 11. But it says, we have this great cloud of witnesses. It says, so let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice that God wants you to focus and push towards what's ahead. And so he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That word finisher there speaks of the the one who brings it to completeness. The one who brings it to fulfillment. And so God is the author of our lives. He has a good story. And when you look to God, you can set aside everything that has weighed you down and you can run with endurance. But let me encourage you that while you may have been living your own story, or maybe you are living your own story based upon what you've done and where you've been, God has a better story. And he's saying, look to me, let me reveal it to you. Let me show you where I'm taking you. But what we also learned is that your next chapter has nothing to do with your last one. Isaiah 43 verses 16 through 19 says this. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Here God is reminding his people of what he did for them when he delivered them from the hands of their enemy, Egypt. And he's saying, I'm the one who made a way when there seemed like there was none. Hey, I've got good news for you. You might think there is no way, but God is the one who always makes a way. Right? And so look, he says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. And now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. There is no place too dry in your life that God can't resurrect, ladies and gentlemen. See, there's a misconception today, even amongst the body of Christ, that that goes something like this. God points you to your past so that he can move you ahead. You know what that's called? That's called sin consciousness. That's called 
pointing out your mistakes, your hang-ups, your mess-ups, your past, and saying, You've got, you have to deal with your past in order for God to take you forward. That is a bold-faced lie. Listen, Christ dealt with your past. Christ also dealt with your present. And Christ also dealt with your future. And so Christ himself has made a way for us to be able to move past what's past and push forward to all that lies ahead. Amen. And so a couple of other things that we learned is that to step into your next chapter, you can't do it without God. You can't move forward to your next chapter in life without looking to God, without trusting God, without seeking God, without following God. If we're not following the author, then guess what? We're not getting to the next chapter. We also learned that you can't do it without people on the journey of faith. If you tuned in last week, or maybe you didn't, check out the podcast, go on our Facebook page, listen to the sermon. We need each other as the body. We are fuel. We provide fuel for the journey. And so we need each other. And today, it leads us to our final point that we explored briefly. And it's that you can't do it without without giving what you're getting along the way. Today, I'd like to talk to you about a better story. Your story is a great one with God. How many of you agree with that? It's a great one with God. How many of you agree that it's already a great one because of the family that God has provided you amongst the body, amongst the church? It's a great one. But listen, it gets much better. I want you to do something with me today. As we, as, as we get started, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. And I know that some of us have grown accustomed to looking to the screen, and that's cool. But I literally want you to open your Bible, if you got it, or go into your, into your phone. And I want you to go to Acts chapter 29. Acts 29. And I'm just going to give you a couple of seconds to get there. It is literally the last chapter in Acts. Ah, some of you are catching on. You're saying, wait, there is no Acts 29. There is no Acts 29. So I'll tell you why we're starting with Acts 29. It might not be in your Bible, but let me tell you something. You're living it. Listen, the next chapter is still being written out for you, by you, and through you. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Acts, the book of Acts is a account of the beginning of the church, of the calling of the church, of what God was doing through his body, his people, the church. And for some of us, we live like if that's not happening anymore. And the truth is this, that you are writing out Acts chapter chapter 29 as you live right now. And so... Let's go back to Acts chapter 28, and I want you to see where we're going today. In Acts chapter 28, what we have is the last chapter, so to speak, of a letter recounting the beginnings of the early church. And it tells us about this guy named Paul. Now, this guy, Paul, uh, was someone who was persecuted for his faith. This guy dared to stand up and declare the truth of this gospel. And the thing about it is that you would think that the people that persecuted him were the people who didn't believe, uh, who didn't know Christ. Listen, it was the church itself 
the religious people of the day, the people that thought they had it all together, that subscribed to the law, that demanded from people to do things that they themselves could not do themselves. They couldn't live up to it themselves. And so Paul, it was these people that persecuted him. And so what we see in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 28 at the very end is Paul at the tail end of his journey. Or what seems like the tail end of his journey. It was really a new beginning. And so like I tell you, this guy was persecuted for his faith in Jesus. He was persecuted for his heart to share the good news of life that was available in Christ. And he was ultimately arrested and tried before the Roman emperor of his time. And he lost his life. But chapter 28 begins with Paul ashore in island called Malta. Now get the picture of where we're going today. Uh, where we're starting today. Paul is on a ship and he's been arrested, right? And so they are transporting him to Rome. They're taking him to Rome. And on the journey there, this nor'easter hits, right? Right smack in the middle of the sea. And the ship begins to go under. It gets wrecked. And everybody's freaking out. And the Bible says, accounts that Paul, recounts that Paul says, don't worry, we're not going to lose our lives. We'll lose everything, but we're not going to lose our lives. And so these people begin to believe. And so they end up on this island called Malta. They're shipwrecked. They have nothing. And the Bible accounts that they were there for three months. But when they first land there, there were these people that were native to this island that knew nothing about God. Knew nothing about this Christ that you and I believe in. And hey, if you don't know Jesus today, it's a great day to really listen in and just explore who God is in your life. That you do have a next chapter. And so the Bible says that they get to this island called Malta. And as they're there, these people begin to come towards Paul and, and the people that, were, that survived this shipwreck. And Paul is lighting a fire. He's putting together a fire and, he, and, and he's sifting through the wood as the fire is catching. And the Bible says that all of a sudden a snake jumps out because it was in that pile of wood. And because of the heat, it came out and it latched on to Paul's arm. Now, the thing about it is that it was a poisonous snake, a very poisonous snake. So watch what Acts chapter 28 verses 4 and 5 says. It says, when the islanders saw the snake Hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he has escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effect. Check this out. In what seemed to be the end of his journey, shipwrecked, right? Bitten by a poisonous by a poisonous by a poisonous snake, and at the very least condemned to a certain death, that hanging over his head. Paul ends up at the very beginning of something great that God is about to do. It seemed like the end, but Paul remains alive and Paul remains standing. Now let me just widen the scope here for a moment while to everyone around Paul and everyone that knew of Paul they perceived they they thought his life is at the tail end Paul still had a next chapter ahead of him can I tell you it doesn't matter how far along you are in life 
doesn't matter how many things you've faced or are facing, you're not done. You're not done. You are not done. You're not done. The, the Bible tells us that after this encounter with the people of Malta, that they marveled and that Paul went on to pray for the sick and minister to the, to the needs of people all around him. And I want to say this to you, that your story is already a good one with God and within the church, but your story is incomplete if you're not reaching out and touching people. Listen, no matter what Paul was facing, no matter that he knew that eventually this would lead to the end of his physical life, Paul was constantly focused on ministering the truth of this gospel into the lives of other people. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We, we, we started over the last several weeks, and one of the things that we said is this, that you can't get to your next chapter if you're not giving what you're getting along the way. You can't. As people of God, we are called to share this good news. And so you're not done yet. But if you want to see the goodness of God and you want to experience greater things in God, then you got to realize that it's not just for you. It's for everyone around you. I sent out a message, a little video message earlier this week. I don't know if you got a chance to, to see it. But I asked this question, are you approaching church when you come here like a hotel or a hospital? And, and simply the question is this. Listen, when you go to a hotel, it's all about me, me, me. Serve me, do for me, tend to me, make my bed, feed me, 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 me. But the truth is that the church is more so a hospital than a hotel, ladies and gentlemen. And we should be reaching out and sharing and touching the lives of people on a daily basis. We should be looking for the opportunity. As a matter of fact, let me just put it to you this way. Start praying for the opportunity and watch God use you. Amen. Amen. And so the thing about it is this, that eventually Paul gets to Rome after this shipwreck. And when he gets to Rome, the very first thing that he does is this. He doesn't go, oh my God, they're going to kill me. Oh my God, we're finally here. I'm going to be judged. You know what Paul does? He sends a letter and he calls for all the Jewish people. And he says, come visit me. Come see me. Let me tell you about what I've learned in Christ. Let me encourage you and somehow get encouraged myself. And so watch what Acts chapter 28, verse 28, and then we're going to look at verses 30 and 31 says. It says, therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. They will listen. For two whole years, the Bible says, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Listen, this guy was shackled at the ankle. While he was in his own home, a Roman guard lived with him. He was under house arrest. And yet, while being in shackles, Paul lived freely with this gospel. He shared this good news. You might stop short of sharing what God is doing in your life because you believe no one wants to hear your story. But God says, let me quote the Bible, they will listen. They will listen. 
The better story that God has for you isn't about you alone. The better story is about what he wants to do through you. In everybody else's eyes, Paul was done. But Paul knew it was far from over. I love the way the scriptures record something that Paul says. He says this. He says, woe is me. In other words, man, this ain't good. If I do not share this gospel. Woe is me. Woe. No good. And so you see, we're called to share what God is doing. There's a better story that includes the lives of other people. And I want to, I want to just challenge you to consider this. Where are you in this regard? Where are you in this part of your life? Listen, it's great that you're receiving from God. It's great that you're sharing with people of faith on this journey and that you're discovering new things and that you're growing. But let me ask you something. Is there an outlet from your life touching the lives of others? You know, we, we get asked often, what, what's, what's, what's church at the bridge about? What, what, what's, the, what's in the name? What's in the name? You know, is it because of the Beacon Bridge? I'm like, no, that's got nothing to do with that. Listen, here's what a bridge does. It opens an opportunity to get somewhere that you've never been. And so watch this. We're about helping people to connect with God, right? We're about helping to pave a path along the way where the body of Christ, where you could grow in relationship with people and encourage one another on this journey of faith. We're crossing the bridge. But watch this. We're also reaching places we've never reached and touching lives we've never touched. You don't have to wait for the church at the bridge or, or your home church to do something for you to share your faith. Get out there. Live boldly. Share your faith. Share your story. Share what God is doing in your life. Because they will, listen, it reminds me of this guy named Moses um, who was at what he thought was the tail end of his life. This guy's 80 years old at the time and he's been living his life um, in seclusion, right? For the last 40 years of his life, this guy has been living on the run. He's been living in hiding. He's been living trying to escape his past. Always looking behind, uh, uh, over his shoulder. Always looking at who was behind him. Can you imagine what life like that is like? I think that every one of us can relate to that. I'll tell you why. Because every one of us has a past. And every one of us sometimes has at some point, or maybe you're doing that right now, looked back and lived in torment of that. And this guy, Moses, finds himself at the age of 80 years old having an encounter with God and discovering there's a next chapter for my life. But Moses also discovered that it wasn't just about him. It was about the people around him. See, when Moses was born, the scriptures tell us, Moses was born with great promise. Moses was meant to always be a deliverer. To bring deliverance to people around him. And the, the interesting thing is, if you study his life, and we don't have time to get into those details, Moses, when he was born, was born at a time where all children of the Hebrew nation, of the Jewish people, were being slaughtered. And get this, the one who gave the command to slaughter him is the very one who accepts him into his home, Pharaoh's house. 
and he's raised as Pharaoh's own grandson, right? And so Moses lived, uh, he grew up in, the, in, in, in a household of royalty. And the Bible says that there comes a day when Moses sees a Hebrew, a Jewish slave, working and being abused, being mistreated by a Egyptian taskmaster. And so the Bible says that Moses goes and he kills this Egyptian taskmaster, and he buries him in the sand. The very next day, Moses uh, sees two Hebrew, two Jewish people arguing against each other. He says, hey guys, why, why are you going at each other? You guys are brethren. And this one, one of the slaves says to him, what, are you going to kill me like you did that Egyptian, uh, that Egyptian taskmaster? And so Moses takes off. And so what, I, I share all that with you simply to, see, to, to say this that Moses finds himself for the next 40 years living with that memory, living with that past, living with that regret, living with that fear. And in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, we begin to see something. I want to make this point to you before we go there, that your next chapter is the beginning of new life for someone. I want you to think about that. I remember when my mother came to Christ. I wanted nothing to do with church. And I was that kid that said, don't talk to me about Jesus. I don't want to hear about that Jesus stuff. Don't come talking to me about church. I don't want to hear it. But you know, I began to see what was happening in my mother's life. And the first encounter that I had with Jesus wasn't sitting in a pew in a church somewhere. It was right there watching my mother go through this process of belief in God. And you know what that did for me? It opened my eyes to something new. Can I encourage you with something? That the world around you is watching. People don't want to hear about Jesus. They want to meet him. They want to meet him. And, 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 and. I don't know if you ever thought of it this way, but the only Jesus that certain people will come to know is the one in you. The one they see in you. The one at work through you. So let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And let's look at this encounter for a moment. Starting at verse 1, it says, Now Moses was leading the flock of Jericho, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And so I want you to get something here. Moses is tending to animals. He's walking animals in a dry place. He's in a desert place and he's tending to animals. And he finds himself at the top of a mountain. It's also very important to note that he is married into a family of a man named Jethro, who was a priest. But at this point in his life, Jethro wasn't a priest unto God. Jethro was a pagan. And so get this, how far gone Moses has gotten from his calling, from what God destined him to. Verse 2 says, there the angel of the Lord. Ask somebody around you, who's the angel of the Lord? I'm so glad you asked that question. Man, you guys are awesome. You know, when the Bible talks about the angel of the Lord, you know who it's talking about? It's talking about Jesus. 
And so here Jesus is showing up to this guy Moses. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I just want to pause right there and deviate from my notes for a moment and just say this to you. The shoes you've been wearing where you've walked have nothing to do with where you're going. The path you've walked on before, Christ, has nothing to do with where God is taking you. It might contribute to where God might lead you to touch people, but understand something. God's saying, take your past off and let me show you something different. Right? That makes sense? And so anyway, verse 6 says, Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Up until this point, Moses has been living his life in self-preservation mode. He's just trying to stay alive and live secluded from everyone. To Moses, this seemed like a really good plan. This works for me. Living all by myself. Living far away from the people that I've been called to deliver. Now, he wasn't clear on that at this point. But the point is that he thought it was a good plan. Did you ever hear the one about the people that were on a, about to crash on their plane? I heard about this uh, plane that was about to crash, and there were four passengers, but there were only three parachutes. And the first passenger said, I'm, le- I'm a leading heart surgeon. My patients need me. And he grabbed the first parachute and he jumped. The second passenger said, I'm a rocket scientist, one of the smartest men in the world. My country needs me. And so he took the second parachute and he jumped. The third passenger was Pope John Paul himself, a holy man. And he said to the fourth passenger who was a 10-year-old Boy Scout son, I'm old and frail. I've lived my life. You take the last parachute. And the Boy Scout said, that's okay, sir. 
there are still two parachutes left. See, the world's smartest man just jumped out with my book bag. What's my point with that joke? Listen, Moses thought that it was a smart plan. It was a good idea to just jump out into the world and live alone and apart from where God had called him. But he discovered it doesn't work. He discovered it doesn't work. Moses was fine living with sheep, far from his past where no one knew him. The only problem is that there was nothing smart about living far from his purpose. Moses was called to be a deliverer. And when he has his encounter with God, notice that God reminds him and calls him back to what God always intended. Can I just encourage you with something? There's something specific that God wants to do through you. Through you. Through you. You are God's solution plan. You are God's plan A in this world. And just like Moses, you might find yourself saying, who, me? Me, little old me, little old insignificant me. Well, let's see what God says about you. Matthew chapter five, verses 13 through 16 says this. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on the foot. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Now, I want you to think about something. Watch what Jesus says. He says, he didn't say you're salty. I know sometimes we act salty, right? But that's not what he's talking about. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, mind you, when God created the entire uh, uh, magnitude of what we know to be creation and even what we don't know, everything played its part and had a purpose. And salt has multiple uses. I know for some of us, we think it's meant for our salad and our food, right? To give it some extra flavor, right? And it, it serves that purpose too. But salt is not just for the purposes of seasoning. Salt also plays the purpose of preserving. And back in those days when they didn't have refrigerators, they used salt to preserve. Listen to what God is saying to you. You are the very tool by which I preserve life in this world. You are the very one that adds to the lives of others. You spice things up. You are the salt of the earth. The Bible says that when God looked at creation, he saw that there was darkness and he said this, let there be light. I'll tell you why I share that with you. Because the scriptures reveal that in this world that we live in, it's a place of darkness. And yet God says, let there be you. Let there be me. Let there be us. You are the light of this world. Now, what's interesting is this, that Jesus himself said, I'm the light of the world. 
And then he says this to you and me. So are you. Mm. And so, look. You are the change that someone is waiting to encounter. The moment you show up and share what God has done in you and what he can do in the life of another, change happens. Change is possible. In John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Watch what Jesus says. You are going to do more than I've ever done. You are going to do greater than I've ever done. Wait, stop. Jesus raised the dead. Jesus brought sight to the blind. Jesus healed people. Jesus brought hope. Jesus set captives free. Jesus brought deliverance. And then Jesus says this. You know what? You know what? There's, there's a lot to say in the midst of that verse. But one of the things that we know is true about Jesus is this. That when Jesus was here on the earth, he could only be in one place at one time. Now watch one of the reasons uh, uh, why he says we will do much greater than him. Because where there was one Jesus, now there's many of them in you all throughout this world. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You, will, you are called to do greater things that God wants to do in the lives of others. And so don't wait for God to bring change into the people around you. Because the change he brings is waiting on you. The change that God wants to impact in the lives of others is waiting on you. You've heard me say this before. If you've been here for any length of time, when you show up, God shows up. When you show up, freedom shows up. When you begin to share your story, the kingdom of God is released. And change is possible and hope is renewed. And lives are transformed and communities are built up. Share this gospel. Share this good news. Mark 16, 17, and 18. This is what God says about you. Jesus says, it says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. Any believers in the house? Anybody believe that God still has something more in store for you? He says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on the sick, on sick people, and they will get well. And so I want you to do something with me. I want you to take these two little hands of yours, and I want you to put them in front of you. Put them in front of you. I want you to put them in front of you, and I want you to act like you're preparing to perform surgery. Now, for some of you, you're going, wait, how, how do I do that? How, 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 what does that even look like? That's exactly my point. See, some of you are looking at me strange right now. You're wondering how to do that. But listen, God doesn't call you and I to understand how the results come about. You know what he says? Put your hands to that community. Put your hands to that broken home. Put your hands to that sick person. Put your hands to that marriage that's hurting. Put your hands to your children. Put your hands to that workplace. Put your hands to those broken places. Put your hands to those dry places and release this life of God in the lives of people. Go ahead.
and be the change that I've called into this world. Go ahead and transform lives with this gospel. Listen, when God called Moses, Moses was concerned with the success of God's plan. He says to God, who am I? And what if they don't believe me? He's saying, God, what if this doesn't work? What if your plan doesn't work? In Exodus 3.12, God says to him, I'm with you. I'm with you. In Exodus 3.16, he says, go. You go. See, Jesus says the same to you and I in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It says, go therefore. Go ahead and tell somebody, go. Go ahead and tell somebody else, go. Go ahead and say this with me, go. Listen, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Listen to what he says. Help the people to learn of me. Believe in me. Obey my words, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you, everything that I've done in your life. And he says, and lo, you know what he's saying there? And watch this. I'm with you always. Remaining with you perpetually, regardless of the circumstance and on every occasion and even to the end of the age. Let me tell you something as we're closing out here. The Bible says that Moses eventually leaves this mountain. And he begins on this journey towards the next chapter. He's on his way to Egypt. And he gets to Egypt. And when he gets there, he begins to declare this message that God has given him. To the Israelite leaders to the people of Israel, but also to this, this, this foreign uh, king, uh, Pharaoh. And he declares to Pharaoh that God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh, as God said, would have a hard heart and he wouldn't let them go. But what's interesting is this, that when Moses gets there, it wasn't an easy path. There were challenges along the way, but it was also a, f- a next step that began a revolution in the lives of people in bondage and oppression. And it led them to the beginning of a next chapter for their lives. Listen very close to, closely to Exodus chapter 3 verses 20 through 21. What God says, and so I will stretch out my hand and I will strike the Egyptians with all wonders. That word wonders there means miracles. That I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people. So that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. Hey, let me tell you something. When you begin to share your story. When you begin to share the truth that has impacted your life. When you begin to see people differently and and dare to reach out to people and tell them not just about your church, but about what God is doing in your life and what God can do in their life. 
and the hope that is yours, that's also theirs. That God's not mad at them, that God's not condemning them, that God's not asking them to change themselves, but he's simply saying, come and see and know that I'm good. Come and see and know this great next step that I have for you. You might think you're at the last chapter, but baby, I got a a next one for you. And it's better than ever before. And so the Bible says that God says, when you leave there with my people, they will not leave empty handed. Can I tell you something? When you share what God has called you to, what, what, what God is doing in your life, it fills the lives and the hands of people. They will not leave empty handed. And so watch this. It says, every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters and so you will plunder the Egyptians. These verses summarize what became possible, not just in the life of Moses when he made the choice to trust God and go where God was leading him, but it opened doors for the miracles of God in Moses' life and in the lives of all those around him. Hmm. Let me tell you what the scriptures say as we close here today. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 says this, For we are to God a pleasing aroma of Christ. Stop right there. Pause for a moment. Watch what the scripture is saying about you and I. He's saying that when God looks upon you, when God, who is always with you, despite your circumstances, despite your shortcomings, you know what it says? That God goes, there's my son. There's my daughter. There's my child. There's my holy one. You remind God of Christ. Who? Me? Yeah, you. Because you are God's solution plan in this world. You are his hands and his feet. He's revealing Christ through you. And so it says, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Here's all the scriptures saying there. That when you show up, so does Christ. When you show up, so does hope. When you show up, so does freedom. When you show up, so does victory. When when you show up, so does healing. When you show up, so does revival and change show up. Your next chapter for life provides you a better story. But listen, it's the story of God at work in your life and through your life to touch the lives of others and bring hope to everyone around you. Let's stand here this morning as we close up. I want you to do something. I want you to take these hands of yours. And I want you to just put them up. You can raise them as high as you want. You can just, I just want you to have them out. And I want you to see something. That these hands are no small thing. This life of yours is not insignificant. Listen, what God is doing in your life has great purpose. It holds great destiny, but not just for you, but for others. And today I want you to begin to see that the story that God is unfolding in your life takes you far beyond the impact in your life. 
that God is calling you to be the change agent. That God is calling you to be the next chapter, the beginning that begins to unveil in the life of another. And so, Father, today I present these, your people, to you. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, that this story is not done. That there's still more in store. But Lord, I also thank you that there are other lives represented right here. Lord Jesus, when you were at Mount Gethsemane, in your very final moments before you were betrayed and crucified, not only did you pray for your disciples, but you said this, I also pray for those that will come to know this truth through them. This message that I've given them. Father, I present these lives unto you, Lord, and I commit them to the word of your grace, which is truth and is able to build in them, not just their next chapter, but the chapter of someone else, Lord. I thank you for the change that is released through these lives, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the people that are touched, the communities that are transformed. I thank you, Lord, that there is still yet more that you want to reveal into the lives of others and into ours, Lord. And so, Lord, today we lift our hands to you. And, Lord, we say, use my life. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the opportunities to minister hope. Your word says, Lord, that your word is a double-edged sword and that it pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joint and marrow, Lord. Lord, that it goes to the deepest part of who we are as humanity. Lord, I pray that through these hands today that you will continually perform surgery and, and renew and restore and build and, 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 and lift up, Lord, lives. Not just their lives, but the lives of others, Lord. Lord, we celebrate what you've done in Jesus.